This is a Burn FM podcast. Um, so we wanted to start off with the question, what does, so, right, it's fine, we'll start again. Okay, <laughs> let me start again. Um, hi, we are joined this week by Neve, who um, is on the chapter board for UNICEF at UOB. Um, and she's going to speak to us a bit about what UNICEF does at UOB as a society. And we're very excited to learn a bit more. Um, so our first question is, is what does UNICEF do as, as a whole, what does it do? And could you just explain that a bit more? Thank you. Yeah, of course. UNICEF is a charity that comes off from the United Nations and its aim is to help children across the world who are in dire need of help or who are below the poverty line. So they run a series of campaigns with the sort of core aim that every child matters. Um, so this in particular, they've been very known in the refugee crisis to help out. Um, a big part as well was raising awareness about the rights of young women and young girls in India. And they did this campaign, I think about two years ago. They've also been like very vocal in how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected children in poor and war-torn countries. So really their aim is to raise money and to use that money into initiatives to like help young vulnerable children across the world. Yeah, that sounds so interesting. Uh, you mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic. I think when we look at like global statistics, we often see that countries which are generally associated to be more wealthy, like have the higher death tolls. So do you know more about whether the UNICEF's work in particular is helping with um, COVID-19 in poor countries or is it just that? Um, I mean, it is an all-round effort, but in general, wealthier countries, even though their death toll is higher, tends to be better at helping children in need. However, obviously, we can see around Christmas time, UNICEF actually here in the UK had to step in and help provide children like food for young children because the government wasn't able to do so. Um, so really even though they do mainly focus on what we would say like um, countries with a lower GDP, they have been known at times to help um, more first world and developed countries. Yeah, I followed that story at the time. There's quite a lot of, I think, unjustified outrage that UNICEF were working in the UK kind of, people perceived as a political point to be made about the conservative government. But I think surely the kind of, the main yeah. point to take out of the whole episode is the fact that they viewed it as necessary to work in the UK. I don't think they have a particular agenda, but obviously they're just looking to help people. And the fact that, you know, especially this year during the pandemic, the government wasn't doing enough to provide, I think there's more. Yeah, else. I think it's kind of less about like political, what are poorer and what are richer countries. They generally have sort of a criteria of what they consider humanitarian and like what they consider to breach that kind of interest. So I think really from what we see UNICEF getting involved um, around Christmas time in the UK was not sort of a political point scoring. It was more of a general, these kind of standards don't meet our criteria and therefore it's viable for the help and the services they provide. Yeah, no, totally agree. Um... So, um, so I wanted to ask in particular, what does like the society do? I actually attended an event, I think back, I think end of January, early February, Richard Jolly, which is quite interesting, him talking about his time in UNICEF. But what else does the society do on campus and, kind of, and how does it 
like kind of partaking wider UNICEF events or campaigns, I should say? Um, so our main aims as a society is to obviously raise money for UNICEF. It is a charity. So we are a charity society um in that when you pay for your membership at the beginning of the year um a hundred percent of your membership fee goes towards unicef um and a lot of our events are structured around fundraising but we also aim to like educate people in the uni about the work that unicef does and about how like outside of the society they can get involved and help work towards unicef's aims yeah, I think that's really good aims, but and in particular in the pandemic, how have you managed to adapt to changing circumstances? Because obviously a lot of normal fundraisers and events wouldn't be able to run. Yeah, it's definitely been really tricky because a lot of the things that made a lot of money were things like bake sales, um, bag packs, like when UOB would do like Christmas fairs, we would attend, have a stall that people could buy from and then the money would go to UNICEF. So obviously having to move on to virtual, you can't really have that like um, sort of those fundraising activities where a lot of it would be like money would come from people who weren't in the society. They just knew a bake sale was going on and would come and, you know, donate. Yeah, that was definitely one of the one of my favorite things to do is go to um, the Guild building, right, where Subway is, and there would always be like a charity doing a bake sale. So, so it was always nice, like a nice treat at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. And that was like a big, like fundraising part from us. But we have adapted quite well. We actually just put on last week a giveaway. Um, so basically what we did was we organized that the winner would win a UNICEF t-shirt, some brownies and a small bottle of gin. And basically all you had to do was enter, was be following us on Instagram and Facebook. Um, donate, we have a Just Giving um, link on our Instagram page for anyone to donate. Um, just donate and then you would be in the, with a chance of winning. So that's like one idea that we've done because that can like be all online. Um, we've done like virtual bingo where again you can win some like really good prizes and all you have to do to be part of the event is sort of like provide a donation so we've done like a lot of virtual like ticketed events where people can just donate straight to UNICEF show us they've donated and then like take part yeah that's great yeah so our next question is focusing on when should the UK start donating vaccines to other countries? So this falls into the idea of moral responsibility. We're a first world Western country. When should we begin to start helping out other countries that, are, that need the help? Um, I mean, really, I think if we talk about it in a sense of moral responsibility, I think we always have a moral responsibility to be helping, you know, other states and to be, giving back to them whether or not you know the situation that we're currently in um especially as it's very tricky with international relations and stuff a lot of part you could argue that western countries actually have like taken a part in a lot of these situations that less developed countries particularly in the middle east and stuff so we could say on that part we do actually have a very big responsibility to give back to them yeah Definitely. But I, in particular, I think, from my point of view, we until like, the um, adult population of the UK is vaccinated, I don't think we should be really giving away any vaccines. 
I mean, government's responsibility is first to its own people. And so until the economy can fully open up, which would require, uh, I'd say, like a high percentage of the population to be vaccinated, then the UK should be prioritised, especially when the economy shut down, you've got um, potential rises of unemployment, you know, people's incomes going less and less and increases in debt. So the real risk of poverty in the UK, which I think obviously other countries are also at risk of the same kind of issues or have high levels of poverty. But as a responsible government, you kind of have to prioritise your own people. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point. And especially like the COVID pandemic does put, you know, where do states like where should they stand on this and you know if you look at it from a more realist perspective then you say that the self-interest of the state is really the only ethical position that a state can take but I think that what gets tricky is like where you draw this line if we always say we need to look after our own first there's always going to be problems in countries you know it's a covid pandemic and then before that it was brexit and before that it was the financial crash so at what point does a country get to a point where they start having to give back to other countries? Yeah, I see that. And we've got uh, with the recent cut to uh, of an aid money from 0.7 to 0.5% of GDP. Like that was the government taking a bit more harsh um, kind of take on at uh, what point in terms of like, economic hardship do you um, start giving to other nations? But I'd, I'd say the, the cut was wrong. But in terms of vaccine, we clearly have a, an excess amount um, once kind of the at that point, there's no real. I mean, I think everyone would agree we'd have to donate um, to other countries, um, and that should be done in terms of need rather than. Uh, uh, certain countries are looking at donating vaccine in terms of kind of strategic gains and trying to strengthen relationships between other countries. Like China is an example. Is you know, if they have donated a lot of vaccines um, to, in Africa and to purpose of, and just aid in general over the last I don't know how many years. And of aims to strengthen relationships and I think we shouldn't really um, look at lives in terms of which vaccines would save in terms of how it is you advance one country but really how can we save as many lives as possible. Yeah yeah no I completely agree. Um, so talking about um, poverty it's quite I think I haven't had much of background in, in politics or sociology so I was quite when I was you hear it in the news and you hear it quite a lot it's quite a vague term um, so I've looked into it a bit more. I just wanted to know, like yours and essentially like UNICEF's as well. Kind of, how do they define poverty, and like do they see different aspects to it rather than just an economic sense? Or um, yeah, I mean, obviously, when I talk about my own opinion of poverty, um, that obviously doesn't completely reflect the whole views of the society. But I think in terms of poverty as a whole, like UNICEF does really try to take. The approach that poverty isn't always economic. Um, while we do define poverty as like children not having access to certain resources that we consider to be humanitarian, so whether or not that's they can't actually afford it due to their family situation, or whether they're unable to have access to basic human resources such as like water, nourishing food, um, a home that kind of thing, it sometimes isn't necessarily to do with economic situation, it's due more to do with like social and political situations. So I think that can also come into the term poverty. Yeah, especially, I mean, I've, uh, compassion.com, which probably isn't the most like legitimate source to get definitions, definitions of poverty. 
there's a Christian poverty charity and they talk about um, different uh, or aspects and different types of poverty. So kind of linking to what you're saying. Um, so like educational poverty. So unfortunately around the world, especially for women, not everyone's entitled to an education. Obviously that has links to economic poverty when if you don't have an education, you're less likely to be able to get a good job and have a lot enough money to kind of survive on, et cetera. But, yeah, when it, I think like obviously UNICEF as a whole, like it defines um, poverty in the most basic term as having like less than £1.90 to survive on per day. But by saying that guideline, they also say that they recognise that this is just sort of like to give you a rough idea. That's sort of like... 190 a day can be really multi-dimensional and it's more like do you have access to food or water or a home that would amount to one pound 90 a day mm -hmm. yeah and then if you use that definition of absolute poverty like apply that to the uk you'd probably say that well probably no one i guess is unless you are yeah you because know, the universal credit system is not part of that yet is on that um Kind of fits that definition. I think it's quite important to look at kind of relative poverty because of, uh, of due to different countries like circumstances of cost of living change. So the cost of living here in the UK would be a lot more than uh, countries in which the absolute um, definition of poverty would be more fitting. Yeah, definitely. So moving on from that, um, we wanted to ask about the universal credit system. And do you think the universal credit system is fit for purpose? And what, yeah, do you think the universal credit system is over Um, No, I personally don't. Um, and that's because I think it's just failing so many people that it really needs to help. You know, I um, have read stories about people who work at universal credit and they're getting phone calls from reciprocants like in extremely like distressed situations because they just don't have enough money to get by. And that's not because they're spending it irresponsibly. That's just because they generally are not being given enough to live on at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, from what I've sort of read online, uh, particular issue is kind of the, the weight of payment because once you apply there's still a five week waiting time for universal credit and even just it coming every month isn't good enough for certain people because if you live you know paycheck to paycheck like, I don't know if paycheck's the right term in this sense but um, often depending on what time the bills are and when you know you've got to do your, your just weekly shop or even like that just waiting a whole month for food um, for the income would be quite problematic to people yeah and I feel like it leaves people like in quite like a financial sort of cliff edge especially like in the pandemic where work is not as easily available only having a one-off payment to live month to month like it just doesn't it isn't sufficient enough and I think especially universal credit isn't solving the problem since the pandemic began I think it's about like over four million people more have like tried to claim this benefit so it's about whether or not like instead of actually just looking at is universal credit fit for purpose it's the why are so many people needing to claim universal credit and how can we actually help them better off in a financial situation that doesn't resolve on giving them benefits that won't actually support them in the way that they need to be supported. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I only recently, when the budget was announced, um, when it was announced a few days ago, 
um, Rishi Sunak finally has gave um, a support package for those individuals that recently became um, became self-employed, so they couldn't, um, based on their previous tax returns, um, get support all the way back till March. I'm sure many of those people and and freelancers and people that take dividends who um, didn't have the necessary evidence in order to, to ask for support from the government, who take up quite probably a decent portion of those who have to um, join Universal Credit. There simply wasn't any um, support available for them. And I think yet again, it's too little, too late from the Conservative government in terms of helping those in need. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Yeah, I, I, I looking at, like, um, at poverty statistics from the government itself. So in terms of uh, one way they measure it is in terms of individuals in, in relative low income. And the rates of that was declining up until about 2010, 2011, when the coalition government um, took over. And then, however, rates have slide, like, slightly increased since then, leading up um, to the year 1819, which is when the, uh, the report um, kind of finished reporting on. However, for children, there's a clear increase, so much more dramatic than just the general um, family household. And that's quite likely linked to the two-child limit in terms of universal credit. So as soon as you earn, as soon as you start having more than two children, you can't apply for any more money for, to support those children. And that's obviously problematic for families with more than two children who are, I, I think I'd be correct in saying, more likely to be from an ethnic minority as well. It's going to disproportionately affect them. Yeah, and I think as well that disproportionately affects like people who are like deeper in poverty than others in the issue of birth control, um, because birth control obviously costs money and it's less readily available to those who have more poverty. So therefore, like if you take even that, you know, they're then more likely to have more children and fall deeper into poverty because they can't get the support that they need. Yes, yeah, good point. I haven't actually thought of. So, thank you for that. Uh, I think if we're just trashing universal credit, we should give some of their benefits. Um, but, um, the, the, the old benefit system was a much more complicated. You have to apply to like I think it was about six separate types of benefits being a, uh, um, yeah, a housing benefit child tax credit, income support, working tax, working tax credit, income-based job seekers allowance, income-related employment, employment and support allowance. So universal credit is obviously a much simpler system and it also can much more easily adapt to the situation. So instead of having to kind of do a whole new application as soon as you get a job or if your pay increases, it can, it can also it much more easily adapts to your new pay and therefore gives you a new money. So that's definitely kind of helped with the logistical issues of that and there has been some benefits but in terms of what's actually provided to the individuals as, um, as you can see from poverty rates obviously universal credit isn't the only thing which we can have a direct causal relationship with poverty but um, you can see how, um, there hasn't been an, uh, any increase really in people out of poverty in the last 10 years and probably if we included within the last year would have definitely gone up yeah, I definitely think that universal credit in terms of it is a lot easier than the last benefit system, but it does absolutely nothing to try and help those who rely on it, like better their situation and get to a point where they no longer have to rely on it. And I think that that is a massive 
problem in that the government really does need to focus its attention on understanding why these people have gotten themselves into a situation um, where they need to rely on benefits and how the government can be doing more to ensure that that doesn't happen. Um, I was also going to another question I wanted to ask was about, so we've seen in the media about the school meals um, and how they were not sufficient um, for children and we saw that whole scandal. What do you think more the government can do? Obviously now that they've seen that, they're going to stop it, but it kind of seems a bit insincere. They're in, like from my perspective, the only reason they're stopping it is because they saw that, but if it wasn't spread on social media, then um, it wouldn't have happened. And on that note, like what can be done now in Corona times, but also when we go back to school, um, so many children rely on that meal as their only sufficient meal of the day. What can we do to make sure that they're still having three sufficient meals of the day? Because um, that's of, like the utmost importance. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that that's one thing that when you look at what UNICEF like wants to do and tries to do is understanding that actually young children are not getting the nourishment they need. And that is a huge, huge poverty issue that actually isn't sometimes economic. Um, and I think that it's one of the things that the government needs to start paying more attention to. I think outsourcing to private firms and not actually doing it in-house is a major problem because then they can't hold those firms to account in the same way and ensure that the food is being delivered to the young children to a standard that will nourish them. Mm -hmm. I, I think I'd get in trouble for not saying that they, the government, after the, whole, the scandal of food um, packages, did change their stance and are now giving vouchers when schools are not right. Yeah, and obviously, obviously that is so good, but it does sort of feel like it wasn't their priority so, till they saw it circulating in the media and it looked bad on them. Um, so I just think like more needs to be done from the actual government. Obviously, charities like UNICEF and other charities are so good and they ensure so much but it is a sad reality that those charities have to do so much because the actual government isn't helping as much as they should if you know what I mean yeah I think it definitely shouldn't take a footballer to tell the government that starving children need to be fed um I and obviously this is a very uncertain and difficult time but I think you know this for me personally it isn't even really about politics I think giving money out to private firms and not ensuring that they deliver good value for money and spending that much taxpayers money to have you know effectively 25 pounds be nicked from starving families because you know you're supposed to get 30 pounds a week to feed your children and yet they were only receiving food packages that amounted to about five pound 33 in a local supermarket and of course you know I think one of the arguments is oh but if we give them the vouchers they might spend it on you know things that aren't necessary but then it's kind of like well you know that's on them then they won't have it anyway you know there might be some people that do that but there's so many people that don't I think that's quite like a cynical view and it really just disadvantages those people who really do need that food yeah and I think the like the pivotal issue here is that the gut like the government isn't I don't think understands that there's so much poverty at home as much as like we are helping people abroad there's so much at home and charities like UNICEF obviously push that um 
do, like what if you were let's say in the government for a day what would you want to be done on this specific issue of child poverty what do you think the government could do like a more realistic stance um i think in terms yeah. of a more realistic stance would be to really properly research why so many people and children are in poverty because I think without a good base understanding of what's causing this problem, every like structural issues, that's yeah. all. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If you don't get right to the root of the institutional problem, then how are you, every solution you try and put in place is really just sort of a band-aid rather than like a long-term change. Yeah, I agree, definitely. Thank you for that. And that's really interesting. Yeah, definitely one of the central issues of universal credit. It's kind of like oh, now we've got these people in poverty. Let's just give them a bit of money and let's just hope that it kind of keeps them going. Rather than, okay, how can we actually get them out of this situation? It's more just like, how can we sustain them until, like, I don't know, some somehow they get out of this situation? Yeah, and I think there's definitely, like, quite a view. I mean, if we go back to, like, conservative ideology right from the beginning in this new kind of wave of neoliberalism, there is an idea of that people's poverty and financial situations is solely on them and their responsibility as opposed to the government. But I think hopefully one thing that the pandemic has shown is that people's financial circumstances isn't always due to their own sort of decisions so many people have been made redundant lost their jobs and i think the pandemic has really exposed kind of the flaws of some of this government thinking that is people's own responsibilities to get themselves out of the situation that they're in what would you think of universal basic income as a way of tackling poverty um i i do actually i do agree with that i know a lot of people say that it would bankrupt um, the system and things like that but I think that there are so many ways that if we did take tax from the top one percent you know a lot of people are under the illusion that that would affect them but it doesn't the majority of people in the UK don't own more than £70,000 a year so you can bring in this tax and you can find that money and taxing billionaires although people say oh that's not realistic that's not realistic okay that you say that's not realistic but then you spend what like billions of pounds on Brexit you know if you really did work hard enough you can find that money to provide universal basic income and you know I don't understand people who don't think that people should be able to afford rent food and to still be alive. I think also at the end of the day like we're talking about child poverty it's never the child's fault or be like like and that's what comes down to it at the end of the day it also isn't the adult's fault in most cases but it's like it's never going to be the child's fault so why are they getting like why are they losing out so I think yeah. it's the government's responsibility to like ensure that they're have they're safe they have the resources the food that they need because like they're not going to be able to have a, a good sufficient life without that and as citizens um that's the government's responsibility that's like the con the like political contract between citizens and the government and that's probably why Rashford's yeah. campaign was um, so successful because when you, when you talk about adults there would be people like that would say oh if you give them money directly they'll just spend it on drugs or whatever or, or even in food vouchers oh they'll just buy loads of packets of crisps and chocolate like you can't trust them like they're they're in the situation for a reason or, or beliefs like that but with children like no one believes that a child you know has no food to eat because of its direct responsibility to, to put food on the table so people can really sympathize with that and 
couldn't really support such a campaign. But I think it'd be much harder kind of convincing the public as a whole in terms of like um, poverty in general when you talk about adults, of, in particular adults of working age, that no, kind of you can, you should do something and it's no, and no, it's not their fault. Yeah. So, um, not just what can the UK do um, within our country, we spoke about, um, you know, foreign aid and in, in recent developments, the inter, the, inter, the, uh, the foreign aid department of the government, so I, I'm forgetting the exact name of it right now, was kind of, I think international development was folded into the foreign office and um, a lot of commentators rightly saying, well, then this just shows that foreign aid is going to be used for kind of strategic developments rather than kind of helping countries that actually need it. So what could a country um, as the UK and other wealthier countries do to help poor ones? Um, I think like a massive thing, one of the biggest problems with aid and something that draws a lot of criticism is that just by simply giving money as aid, um, it often isn't able to be used in the right way. Um, so by simply in a lot of African countries, I think the way that the government and the corruption, this sort of idea of trickle down economics just simply doesn't work. Um, so I think a better plan would be more for governments in countries like the UK to consult charities like UNICEF, who already work in these countries to provide aid and to help children in poverty and work with them and to see how that money can be used with the efforts of the charity to try and achieve better aims. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yes, an interesting take on the issue, donating to charities rather than kind of the body as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the big problems, is it that I'm not suggesting to simply donate to charities, it's more to work with the charities about how to, instead of just giving money, to actually use that money to provide realistic solutions that are implemented. Because I think that is the problem, you can't just chuck money at it, you have to actually work out where that money needs to go. Yeah, and I think that needs to be part of like a wider response. So if you think about the situation in Yemen, so the United Kingdom sells arms to Saudi Arabia, which bottoms you know, Yemenite people to, to simplify it. They are fighting the Houthis there. Um, but obviously, um, collateral damage does occur. Um, and then you've now got the UK, which was donating quite a considerable amount of money to, to Yemen, which is now reducing the amount of money it's donating by a considerable amount. So you can't just look at aid in terms of, you know, as itself, but really what the situation is causing that aid, especially in, in war-torn countries when the UK is kind of playing a part in that war. Yeah, I definitely agree. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Um, it was really, really thank you for having me. We really appreciate it and have a good week and weekend. Oh, thank you, you too. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Bye now. Bye.